Yeah, hold that, please. Level five, thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi. Nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to attend the Biparsal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to attend the Channelized Bing Bingus at the Biparsal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chat all sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more, the fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com. 18 plus be gambleaware.org T's and C's apply Hello and welcome to the Game Day Podcast with me Sam Matterface the former Benfica Chelsea West Ham Charlton and Rotherham left back and England under 21 international Scott Minto <laughs> and former England striker Dean Ashton England go 4 for 4 in the European Championship qualification group after two easy wins over Malta and North Macedonia. Have we learned anything from these games or should we just take the points and have a really good summer? A Bournemouth sack Gary O'Neill, who was a managerial candidate for manager of the year. Saudi Arabia offered Chelsea a helping hand in their summer clear out. And how could Kai Havertz potentially switch from one stadium in London to another? Does he fit in at Arsenal? There's big rumours about him switching clubs. It's all on the Game Day podcast from TalkSport. Hello to Dino and Scott. We did have a little bit of a joke in the sort of uh, pre-pod um, meeting in which uh, Scott and I are both wearing England jerseys. I'm still wearing mine from last night because I was at Old Trafford and had to get up and fill in for Alan Brazil for a couple of moments. And then uh, I, I just felt found myself in my England jersey. Scott went and put his on and then we both sort of had a laugh and a joke saying... We're wearing replicas, but Dino, if he wanted to, could just go and get the real thing out of the wardrobe. Do you still have your England shirts, Dean? Of course I do. But um, unlike you felt like figures, um, that England shirt would get nowhere near fitting. <laughs> so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do everyone a favour and just remain in my sort of Scotty Minto summer style linen shirt. <laughs> Do you know what, Dino? It doesn't matter if it looks like a boob tube now. You've got the proper thing. <laughs> <laughs> You've got the proper thing, mate. Oh, I'd like boy. to see it. Um, 324 days since the community shield between Manchester City and Liverpool. 324. Um, the, the football season is finally over. The longest continuous season, which I think anybody can remember because it was hot on the heels of the COVID-interrupted campaign and the European Championships as well. Then the Euro, the Women's European Championships. I'm I, I kind of not really sure how I, I feel about the fact that we've got a month now without any real football. What are you going to do to while away the hours? It almost feels like you know, you've been addicted to this drug for the last three years non-stop, and now all of a sudden someone's taking it away from you. What, 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 what are we going to do? What are we going to do? Do you know what, Dean? I, I, I think that question is almost rhetorical there. It's, he's almost asking himself, isn't he? Thinking, what the heck do I do? He, he's travelling everywhere. Boys, he, he works eight gigs a week. So, you know, <laughs> what, what he's going to do now. How's the DJ going, by the way, Sam? Do you know, I haven't really got back into that yet because I have had no time whatsoever. But I will be, the next, the next five weeks will be very DJ heavy, yeah. 
thing is, we 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 all need a little break, don't we? We all and and what it does is it then it, it then gives us that hunger back that we want it back. Everyone, I think, probably feels a bit like that. And then when it comes around, we'll all be chomping at the bit to get back into it. Uh, and you know what, as well, Dino, um, I don't know about you. I actually didn't mind pre-seasons as such, but I'm so glad I'm not doing them any anymore. So we kind of miss that pre-season and we just go straight into the season now we're, we're in the media part of it. So, yeah, I've got to say, I feel like we've got the best of both worlds. Yeah, just a little bit. Uh, the podcast isn't going to stop, by the way. So Scott uh, Crookie, when he gets back off his many trips to Portugal, uh, <laughs> will be here as well to bring you the latest uh, transfer gossip and chat ahead of the new season. Uh, we're changing our name as well uh, over the next few weeks, so stick uh, around for that. Um, let's talk about England. They head into the summer with a perfect record from their four games. But what did we learn, if anything, from the two rather uncompetitive matches? Inside the area and there is the breakthrough. Harry Kane and they lead North Macedonia by a golden L. Walker for Saka into the roof of the net for two. In for Henderson inside the area, pulled back for Making England three, North Macedonia nil. Saka gets on the end of an Alexander-Arnold ball. Oh, he's lashed it into the top left-hand corner. What a strike, what an England performance this is fast developing into. Four for England in an 18-minute spell either side of half-time. Kane has got it through for Saka! Saka in for his hat-trick. As sweet as you like, and England five up. Grealish. Clipping it in, and it's tapped in for six by Calvin Phillips. Scored a penalty in Malta on Friday, scores a penalty in Manchester on Monday. Finishes England seven, North Macedonia nil. England seven, North Macedonia nil. I was at the game last night. I was in the stands as a, as a supporter with me, uh, with my kids and, and, and my missus. Uh, clinical performance, uh, England, I thought, were brilliant in the first half. Patient, effective, ruthless. What did you learn from it, Scott? Um, first of all, I, I learned listening to you this morning that you don't want to be going either just before half time or just after half time for a double decker, <laughs> was it? Um... <laughs> so what happened here, right, Dean? This is this is this is really bad for this 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 family that were the big Arsenal fans. Okay, so they were sitting next to, to my family. And we sort of got chatting and they were predicting scores and my kid was predicting scores. And then at halftime, you know, 42, 43 minutes, my, my son says, right, dad, double, de double decker time, right? So double decker, packet Chris, that's his old, that's his old Trafford tradition. He goes every week. So he, he has like a thing. So, okay, fine. So off he goes, we walk down as I'm walking down the stairs, Marcus Rashford scores his goal. Brilliant. We're all cheering it. We've seen it wicked. Go downstairs, get our halftime replenishments. I swig a quick carling, come back up get into position for the second half sitting there as we walk past with our goodies the family next to us the kid who's with the the, the family next to us says oh yeah I, I fancy one of those um could i get go and get a double decker now dad uh, and he goes oh the game's about to start second half and his mum says who's a massive arsenal fan by the way massive arsenal fan but because she lives in morecambe can never get to arsenal games it's very expensive because tickets at arsenal are really expensive you have to get the train and stay over, etc. So she's really happy about seeing some of the Arsenal stars, Saka in particular, in the flesh. So she goes, oh, I'll, I'll go down and get it for you because, um, you know, I'm not going to miss anything in the first minute or so of the second half. <laughs> she gets up, 
walks down the stairs. The son follows. Whilst those two are out of the building, Bukayo Saka scores one of the goals that you'll see in an England international ever. A brilliant pass from Trent Alexander-Arnold. And then completes his hat-trick. She comes back up and the dad turns around and says, did you see it? She went, yeah, <laughs> on the TV. <laughs> she, was absolutely, she was fuming, so fuming. And we were all giggling and laughing, obviously, at her expense, which probably wasn't very fair. But it was, it was, it was a cracking laugh. But he was, in particular, Dean, I thought, fantastic. Yeah, he was. He looked like, he, you know, that mini break that maybe he'd, he'd gotten. Um, that sort of just refreshed him. Um, he looked sharper for in both games. And I think the thing is, we talk about players being overworked and, and I do understand that. And I think there, there becomes a point where fatigue sets in both mentally and physically, but p- players don't mind playing generally. They, they don't mind playing. The one thing I think is that what you get with a break is that opportunity for any little niggling injuries that you've got where you've been smashed on the ankle and week in, week out, it just keeps, you know, clipping away, clipping away. That's the one thing I I really noticed when I retired is you don't wake up or you don't carry something for a year, two years. And and these players, that's what they they need. And Saka, towards the end of the season, I thought he looked like he was constantly carrying something, whereas I don't think he did in the last two internationals. Now, that might have just been two or three weeks of low-loading, less impact, these things do really matter to players. And I thought there were a couple of players that looked really, really sharp in the two games, which I think was part of that. I, I think from a physical point of view, absolutely. I remember Dino towards the end of my career, well, even in the middle of my career, having Achilles problems, waking up, not being able to walk properly and not for 10 minutes walking around did I actually walk properly, standing on the stairs, trying to do some exercises and it's amazing, you know, it's probably at least 50% of the time that you go into a football match without actually being 100% fit. I also think the psychological side, really, of, of Arsenal, the way they kind of plummeted towards the end of the season, you know, it's almost that's now been parked and you've come into playing for, for England. It's a different atmosphere, it's a different environment. You're playing with different players and you're expected to go and, and win the game. And I thought, you know, what, what did we learn, Sam? I, I think we learned that, first of all, Trent, can play that role or certainly has earned the right to play against a bigger team in that role. I've always said for a long time, like many people, he's not a right back. I think he can be a right wing back, but also playing as a central midfielder is different because you sometimes have to have your your back to play on the half turn. Well, I think in these two games, as much as we're going to talk about Saka or people are talking about Saka, I think over the two games, this is what stands out for me that Trent can play in that midfield role. And it's going to be fascinating to see whether Gareth takes it further because he doesn't trust him as a right back. But his range of passing is better than anyone else in that England team, as we saw over the two games. So, you know, the next few England internationals are going to be fascinating in terms of team selection. I think Saka was carrying an injury towards the end of the campaign. And Gareth actually referenced that in the sort of post-match press conference yesterday. Um, so maybe what Dino's saying about that little break just allowed it to heal so that he could get going again. And he was terrific over the course of the match. I thought Marcus Rashford played really well on the left-hand side, especially in the first half, where he caused real havoc for that North Macedonia defence. Um, one of the things that I think has been quite interesting under Gareth Southgate is the, num- the sheer number of games that England have won by a considerable amount of goals. 
It's something that has become a real habit, which is destroying teams, putting them to the sword, putting on a show for the supporters. And the atmosphere last night in the crowd was brilliant. You know, it was a really good atmosphere at Old Trafford last night. And I think that's really become something that has been borne out about the way that one of the players behaves. So there's a connection between the players and the, the supporters now. But also, Dean, if you turn up to an England game and they put on a, a show like that, you go away feeling good. I know North Macedonia aren't the best team in the world. This is the same team that knocked out of it, Italy in the uh, qualification campaign for the World Cup last year. So, you know, let's that, that, give them a bit of credit here. They've done a very good job. Yeah, I, th- I think Gareth's always been very, very good at that, at recognising not just what is important for the players themselves, but what connects the players with the supporters. And I think he probably understands that too many internationals are very, very boring. And people were just getting so bored of watching them. And it's down to his side, even against you know uh, lesser opponents, to keep the entertainment high. And I thought we really saw... Now, whenever I watch England, I always think, no matter who the opposition is, we'll let them have a couple of shots from distance. We'll let them have a sneaky look at the goal. Pick for my have to make a save. There wasn't a shot from either Malta or North Macedonia. Not a shot. Because, and I thought he used these two games to see how the team could press as a side. And I thought that was really important to see that actually he's he's focusing on, out of possession, what we need to do Mm -hmm. as a team. I thought it was so good. I thought Henderson was brilliant at it. Um, Probably that most important player in... In, in sort of driving that that press and we've got players we've got players to do that that's what impressed me most about the two games because you're right you know Italy only won two one against Malta away and North Macedonia you know that's the heaviest defeat they've ever had so it's easy for us to go oh well it's only Malta and North Macedonia no that England was superb because they just you know they hounded the opposition they won it back quickly and then they just controlled the game and had great movement in attack. It's it's worth pointing out as well that that pressing argument, a lot of them is made of the fact that Harry Kane can't do that sort of thing. But actually, he and Jordan Henderson that very well for the, 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 the Marcus Rashford goal with Henderson squeezing in, turning the ball over and then Kane nipping in brilliantly and um, taking the ball off the defender, moving it inside, giving it to Marcus Rashford and, and, and Rashford scoring his goal. I think one of the other big issues that we've often sort of looked at England and thought he's that he's got like a very small pool of players and he always seems to go back to the same ones. Well, now the pool seems to be massive and there's loads of different options and loads of different ways of using the same players to change the system. So, for example, we've mentioned Trent Alexander-Arnold, been on the radar for a very long time, been involved for a very long time, but now we know that there's different options, different ways to use him, and Gareth hasn't been afraid of doing that. We know that you can use John Stones in a variety of different positions. That is a, that's a real bonus in terms of the way you're able to to use your squad, utilize your squad, especially when you get to a major tournament and, and the finals of a major tournament where those games come thick and fast, and you may have to problem solve in match really quickly. Something that Gareth has been questioned about, Scott. No, absolutely. I think that's probably been Gareth's um, biggest issue. So we sh- should we say? I mean, and I think the final of the Euros was that. You know, we scored really early. 
you know, human nature, you kind of sit back and then Italy just took control. And then how are we going to wrestle control? And I don't think Gareth did that. You don't want to be making substitutions after 20, 25 minutes unless you really have to. So therefore, absolutely, I, I, I totally agree. You've got players now who can play in different positions. You don't have to make those substitutions and you can tweak the system. So I, I think it's all the ingredients are there. And, and, and Dino's right. You know, people turn around and say it's only Malta and North Macedonia, but I think on, on, on that night, North Macedonia, I think would have beaten anyone, pretty much anyone in the world, the way they play. Defensively, are excellent. Midfield, were really good. Clinical going forward. But it's about doing that in the pressure situation in a major tournament. So, tick, tick, did really well. We are where we are. Let's make sure we put in that type of performance and create that momentum as we head into the Euros. Yeah, don't get too excited about it, but also appreciate what has been done. And it was a good performance at Old Trafford on Monday night and a good performance away in Malta as well. It must be must be mentioned. And and that, that ball from Trent Alexander-Arnold to Pakaya Saka, I think is one of those things that will just be like made into a gif that people just send over and over and over uh, to one another because it, it was the link-up play was outstanding. Uh, Actually, uh, Sam, j- just on that as well, I mean, again, I heard you mentioning it this morning about the midfield of, of Rice, Bellingham and, and Trent. I mean, the, the one thing we've kind of been lacking, you know, James Madison has it, but he's not been playing, is that defence-splitting ability to do that. We've got the pace to go in behind. Harry Kane can drop off. Saka, Rashford, even Grealish can do it, and, and others can as well. Trent might be that missing link that, that we've missed going forward against the real top teams in the real latter stages of a competition. The one, the one thing I would say about that, though, and it was mentioned yesterday, I mean, first of all, that was pretty planned because... Bukayo actually said after the game, he had a discussion with Trent at halftime and they were talking about that ball and they were encouraging each other, one for Trent to play it and for Saka to make those runs. So for it to come off so quickly after halftime, I think it's quite, it's quite interesting really because it was planned. It was, it was in their heads. Secondly is, is with Trent, Obviously, he's adapting his position. It's all very new to It's not all very new to him because he grew up as a midfield player. So there are some fundamentals that are there. But as Gareth was saying on Sunday afternoon, it's things like pressing angles, it's body shape, it's knowing how to protect the ball in tight areas if you're playing further up the pitch because if you give it away there, you're going to invite pressure. How quickly can you assimilate into that position, Dean, and acquire the all the skills that are necessary to be able to replicate those great performances that he's already come up with over the last two games in matches against the very top? I think it's very much individually how the player can cope with that because you are talking about such a different skill, being able to see the whole pitch and then when you have got your back to the play, you feel like you can hardly see any of it, you know, and it's being able to adapt. And I I think he can. I think he can. I think he is like a perfect replacement for that Henderson right side midfield. And and I think what we're forgetting is he, he is a defender as well. I, I know he gets criticised, but he, he, he does think like a defender a lot of the time. So if he's in that midfield position, he is going to be superb for us defensively when we need to get back into position. And it would allow Bellingham on the left-hand side to really to really go. I'm, I'm with Scott in that. In the, in the big games, when we do have those moments where you need something that nobody else has got, and, and they don't come around that often, these players that have got that ability, they don't. And 
it seems to have fallen perfectly and Gareth has recognised it and we, we need to use we need to use that ability that he's got because it's special. Yeah, uh, special abilities all over the squad actually. Uh, Jack Grealish came off the bench. He got a brilliant reception. I think maybe some people thought that actually those Manchester City boys when they came off the bench or were included or their names were read out were going to get iffy receptions from the, the, the old Trafford crowd. Uh, there was none of that. In fact, there was one particular moment in the second half where the Stretford end burst into life singing Jack Grealish he's still on the so uh, <laughs> which was great it was almost like an embrace and he got the loudest cheer of the night when uh, he was introduced to the crowd he was it was just uh, everyone was waiting to see him he is everyone's favorite isn't he because I think there's part of him uh, which is still very much you know just just the lad, just just Jack the lad. And he, he spoke to us afterwards and he said he's got absolutely no regrets about how he celebrated Manchester City's treble win. No, not really. Um, like I said, you know, I've done something that, that comes around, as you can see, once in a lifetime, you know, by winning the treble. Um, the last time it was done was in what night? Was it night in, I don't know when Man United done it, but, you know, listen, it hasn't been done for ages, so... Why not celebrate like that? Everyone was with me. You know, I weren't on my own, just going out with my friends. I was with the whole team. You know, we enjoyed ourselves on the Saturday, the Sunday, and the Monday. So, um, listen, I had the best weekend of my life. I've won the Champions League, and I was so, so emotional after it. Um, I was probably on the biggest emotional high I've ever been on. Um, and then I, I, I kind of knew in my head. Obviously, the manager didn't tell me, but I kind of knew that I weren't going to play on the Friday anyway. Um, and listen, I come today and, and I feel good. So um, I think in life, you know, whatever whatever you do, you know, you're always going to get people in the background, you know, criticising and, and stuff like this. So it's just part and parcel of life and especially the, the, the position that I'm in at the moment. But no, listen, my, my full priority is with England. That's why, I was, that's why I was, you know, in camp on Tuesday night and then trained Wednesday, Thursday. Was on the bench Friday, trained Saturday, Sunday and played today. So, um, yeah. Also, obviously, I had, a, I had a good weekend. And like I said, it was um, the best weekend of my life. But do you know what, Sam? I, I just think he's what we all wanted to be, even as professional footballers. We, we kind of a little bit ground down at times mentally with the, the, the rigours of professional football. I'm not complaining in any way. It's the best job in the world. But he's able to still have that criticism and deflect it and still be that young boy, you know, kicking the ball around at 10, 11, 12, 13. So... I don't, I don't get the going to Ibiza for a day. I'd have saved it. I'd have gone back. It was 10 hours, wasn't it? We had 10 it hours. 10 I hours. Mean, you can have a great night in London or Manchester, you know, just save Ibiza for when the England games are finished. But listen, they're entitled to do what they want to do. Um, yeah. Um, you were a bit Jack Grealish though when you were, you were younger, weren't you? When you were playing at sort of Chelsea and Charlton, you, had, you, know, the, you had the hair, you had the looks, you had the, you had the party boy uh, reputation. You were the dressing room <laughs> DJ. You and Frank Sinclair out every, every every Saturday after a game? I resemble, I mean, resent that remark. Um, <laughs> no, do you know what? Yeah, listen, you know, I, I, I used to have a, a bit of fun. It was at the right time. Um, but yeah, you know, I, I'd never had a, an ounce of Jack's ability. So um, a fair play to him with a, the, the sort of scrutiny that he's under and he's still able to yeah. love football and be himself. And I, and I respect and admire that a lot. Yeah, I mean, you both didn't mind causing a little bit of attention, did you? I mean, Dino, at one stage, you dyed your hair white, didn't you? Or, or, or platinum blonde? Well, yeah, obviously. I was a centre-forward and I wanted it to be all about me. So, 
<laughs> <laughs> so whatever it, whatever it takes. Um, no, I, th- I, I absolutely love how how Jack has, has enjoyed it. I mean, it's a treble. It's it's something that is so rare for a player that's you know had his time at Aston Villa was magnificent for them. When you make that move, it's because you want to win things. He's shown that. You can tell by his relationship with his family that actually he's at times a very different person than maybe he he comes across to a lot of people when they see him having a drink. I just think those are the times that you should be able to to let your hair down. And and I, I think it was unfortunate the England games were sat as they were. And I think Gareth handled it in the end pretty well. But you've got to be allowed to enjoy those moments because... When you then finish, you know, those are the things you look back on. And I'm sure I just, well, I just hope he remembers it. But I suppose with, <laughs> with, with, all, the, with all the video content, he doesn't have to worry about that. He'll definitely be reminded, that's for sure. There's that one image, isn't there, of him on the oh. bus, uh, at the back of the bus with his shirt off and his arms outstretched, looking biblical um, in the rain in Manchester that will be the iconic image of those treble uh, winning celebrations, that's for sure. Uh, Looking around Europe, the rest of Europe, uh, I wonder who else England should be worried about going into the European Championships. Uh, The Nations League final wasn't great, was it? I mean, Spain dominated a lot of possession, but, you know, as always with them, they do dominate a lot of possession, but don't score maybe as many goals as you would expect. France limped past Greece. I watched them Friday night against Gibraltar, and they made heavy weather of breaking down Gibraltar, but they still got a lot of talent and they were in second, third gear at the time. I mean, you've got to remember that they too have been playing a very long season. And then there's Germany. And Germany had a, had a sort of difficult um, international break as well. So who, who, who should they be concerned about, Scott? I mean, have you been watching much of Portugal? Um, I, I haven't watched Portugal, actually. Um, it, it, but it's just the usual suspects, Sam. You know, it, again, we want to sort of think, yes, brilliant performance. And you're right to say this is this is not North Macedonia who are a really rubbish side. They're not, but they're obviously not the top. But to do what we did to score early, 3-0 half-time, to crack on, you know, as Dino said, you know, not even a shot in either game is brilliant. But look, we're always going to qualify and it's always about the major tournament. So that's when the real top teams come up. I still think France... You know, look, it's at the end of the season where they, they lost the World Cup on penalties. They probably are even more desperate than anyone else for the season to end and just get a bit of a rest in their head as much as the, the physical side of it. They, for me, are still the number ones. But, yeah. no, I'll be... I mean, they've won bit... four from four, let's be honest. Yeah. They've, they, they're they in the same position that England are, with just slightly different scorelines. Absolutely. And, um, you know, Spain and Portugal, I love those teams. I, I played in Portugal. I always keep an eye out for them. I cover the Portuguese league. I know the Portuguese players. Um, they'll certainly be ones to watch out for Spain too but uh, you know for me it, it's still France and if we can get past them even meet them in the final I, I think this is a wonderful this is the best opportunity for us now and I think it's 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 do or die in a certain maybe a not good choice of phrase but you know win or bust for Gareth really in, in terms of his uh, his England tenure. Yeah Dean that, that, that's true isn't it I think whatever happens the European Championships in 2024 will probably be his last act as England manager. Um, I'm not entirely sure, but I think it's, it feels, you know, massively important that during his time, he's able to win something because we're so close. We're right there. We are, 
a moment here and a moment there from winning, you know, a major tournament. And and it's it's frustrating because we we look so good in so many games, in so many areas, but we are talking about those moments when can you handle the most severe of pressures? Can you handle that? And it, it, it's whether the players and Gareth can handle those situations and make the right calls and do the right things. And that's that's all we're talking about. We're, we're there. We're right there with the best that there is to offer in the world and, of course, Europe for the Euros. So it's then just going to be about, about those moments. I, I agree. I, I think we are one of the best. And But going into any major tournament, there's always three or four and in the World Cup, five or six, where spot on, Dino, it's all about the moments. But if you look at what Germany did in the build-up to, to them winning it in 2014, I can't remember exactly how they did it, but it was semi-final, final, semi-final, quarter-final, semi-final. And then they did it and they were knocking at the door and yet they kept Joachim Love. And I'm really pleased that, that, that England have kept Gareth. I think they should do. I think he'll walk away if they don't do it. If they do do it, what a great opportunity to win back-to-back and actually win the World Cup itself because the confidence that would give us moving into that would be incredible. But let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. Let's not get too excited. Um, uh, let's uh, and listen, because we all know as well, you know, football is, a, is an odd game and things can change uh, very, very quickly. And that might well be something that we're talking about in the next section of the programme where we focus a little bit on the Premier League, starting at Bournemouth, where Gary O'Neill has been sacked despite keeping the club in the top flight. Now hold that, please. Level five. Thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi. Nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to Ertz and the Biparsal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to Ertz and the Channelized Bimbingus of the Biparsal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chattel sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how. Normally, being a little extra might be a bit much, but not when it comes to healthcare. That's why United Healthcare's Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, supplement your primary plan so you manage out-of-pocket costs. Learn more at uh1.com. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org. T's and C's apply. for Bournemouth and a monumental moment in their fight for survival. Bournemouth fans should be thanking their lucky stars that Gary O'Neill took that job. He's done a terrific job down there. They should build a statue out the front of the stadium of him. The budget that he's working with, where they were when he, he got the job and what he's done there to keep him up, phenomenal. I think he's done a great job. I think no, he should be as one of the yeah. managers of the season. Bournemouth, who finished 15th in the Premier League, five clear of safety and live to fight again in the Premier League next season, have just parted company with their head coach, Gary O'Neill. I can't quite work out why Gary O'Neill 
who's done a very good job, would be in a situation where he finds himself on the other side of this. And they go on to say that he's going to be a great manager somewhere else. Really strange situation, isn't it? Not one that anybody, probably even Gary O'Neill himself, saw coming. This might be because somebody special has come to the table. Bournemouth have confirmed the appointment of Andoni Iraiola as their new head coach. For Bournemouth to decide to go in a different direction, I think is a bold call from the football club. Only time will tell. But speaking of people in Spain, they believe this is a really exciting appointment. So this was quite a jaw-dropping story, really, bearing in mind that Gary O'Neill was being spoken about as someone who could have a statue built um, in his honour outside the stadium prior to the end of the season after keeping them up from a position where, if you remember rightly, Scott Parker told everybody that they just didn't have the quality to compete in this Premier League. And Gary O'Neill somehow got a tune out of them to be able to, with a couple of additions during the January transfer window, uh, keep them in the league. How shocked were you, Dean, when you heard the news? Yeah, very, because I, I just think that he'd handled um, himself and the pressures of trying to keep a team in the Premier League when you haven't got the same resources. I thought he'd handled that that brilliantly well. And I thought they were quite entertaining, actually, in, in doing it. And that that was the big thing for me. It wasn't like he'd sat his team into every game and just walked away one nils here and there. He'd actually, you know built a side that could play in different ways, it could change a system, that could go on a counter-attack when they were away from home, that could dominate at times when they were at home. I was thinking, well, he's not just he's not just fluking this. He's actually built he's actually building something that's that's credible. And I thought well, that well, would Dino, be go more back to than that enough. Liverpool victory. Go back to that Liverpool victory down at uh, the Vitality Stadium only a few short months ago. Key victory. Um, in their sort of attempts to stay in the in, in the Premier League this season, and one of the things that sort of I I, I recognise watching that match, Scott, I think you were with me during that match, mm. um, was was the fact that they attacked on the flanks really well, got in behind Liverpool really well. Then once they were one 0 up, they did have to defend a little bit because they're playing Liverpool at home, and Liverpool obviously desperate for points themselves. But instead of just sitting in, what they did was is they did defend really well. As the game went on, instead of bringing on an extra defender and stiffening it up towards the end of the match, what he did was he brought on a ball player so that when they won the ball back, they would get it up to Ryan Christie and they could play, play further up the pitch, take the pressure off their defence and look to progress further. And Listen, they, they, they didn't get another goal. They almost did get another goal, actually, in that match. But they, they by being a little bit braver and adding an extra ball-playing midfielder into that team, Actually, it reduced the opportunity of Liverpool to get an equaliser in the match. And I, but, you know, that went under the radar, I think, Scott. No, well, well, we mentioned it on the day, Sam. And, and you know, Dino's absolutely right. It, this is not a fluke. I mean, I, I said from the start, even when Scott Parker was in charge, if they stay up, then Scott Parker should be manager of the, of the season. And then get same for Gary O'Neill. And, and they bought well in January, but... You know, they didn't buy sort of world-class stars. So this was a really well-oiled, well-organised unit where you could see that Gary's been working on this every day. And that was absolutely, it was a, what's the point of just kicking the ball back long only to, to come back again? Let's try and keep it and relieve a bit of pressure. And, and they did it really well. And as you say, he nearly went on and scored the second. Look, I was really surprised, I'll be honest with you. I mean, I know that Iriola's, um, Andoni Iriola's really seen as a, a top-class coach. 
But I thought he earned the right to go again, to be honest with you, Gary. And, and what I would say from Gary's point of view, his stock is so high at the moment that I would suggest that the teams have just been relegated, top end championship going for Premier League and even bottom end Premier League as well would be looking and thinking, this is a guy that we should be thinking about getting in now. And the ones that have got someone in, they'll be hoping that their team starts well and don't need to do it. But if they don't, they don't miss the boat because he's gone to, gone to another club. I thought that first season in charge shows that he's here to stay as a manager for a very long time. Yeah, I think that's one of the things when I sort of exchanged messages with him yesterday. Is It's difficult to take, I think. I think there was part of him that was a little bit sort of shot, but at the same time, you know, nothing's happened. It's okay, fair enough. Would have been explained to him well. Richard Hughes, who's the sporting director, they've known each other for a very long time. And I'm sure that there was a part of this. There's almost a part of me that thinks maybe this was always in the planning anyway. Maybe it was always in the back of everybody's mind. Maybe not necessarily Gary O'Neill's mind, but there was a point where there were discussions amongst the Bournemouth fans about getting rid of him, for example, over the Christmas period. And I think we'd spoke about that on the podcast as well. Uh, but they have replaced him with uh, Andoni Iriola, who obviously is a, a progressive coach. And we'll talk about his facets in just a second. But I wonder, Dean, whether or not this could be one of those situations, a little bit like when Nigel Adkins was sacked as a Southampton boss and replaced by Maurizio Pochettino. One of those moments where, for example, uh, Chris Hutton, when Chris Hutton was sacked just after keeping Brighton in the Premier League and replaced by Graham Potter, everybody was outraged. But actually, they just wanted a different style. They wanted a different way of operating. And both those clubs benefited from those changes. And maybe Bournemouth will as well. But at the time, bearing in mind what we know at this moment, it does seem remarkably harsh, doesn't it? But do you think that this is a chance for Bournemouth to... And then the new owners, really, to stamp their authority on the club and take it in their direction. Well, I think there's the key with what you've just said, new ownership. So when a new ownership comes in, of course, they're going to have their own ideas. And Gary O'Neill was already there. He was almost um, safeguarding the club, wasn't he, in in a way? I can't understand it because I would like to think that you get rewarded for the work that you do and that you deserve the opportunity. Now, people say, well, it doesn't matter. If they own the club and they put millions into it, they get the right to decide that. But I'd be surprised if there's that many Bournemouth supporters that are delighted with the news. It's not like you're bringing in... It's odd, actually, because there wasn't many Bournemouth supporters that were angry about it. You know, yesterday, the talk sport was flooded with messages from Bournemouth supporters. It might just be a vocal minority. And it took me by surprise. I must admit, it took me by surprise. A lot of Bournemouth people, Dean, saying, yeah, 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 no, no, this is the right decision. We, they weren't enamoured with him anyway. Well, I, I find that ridiculous. I just do. I just, I, where do you think you are then? Who do you think you are then? If you think that Gary O'Neill should just be shunted out the door and bring in this magician that's now going to turn you into Champions League contenders, do me a favour, honestly. It's, I, I think, where's the reward for a manager? Where's the signal to any young coaches now thinking, that's what I want to be. I want to be a manager. I want to look at what he's done there. An ex-player's gone in, done a fantastic job and out the door because his face doesn't fit effectively. I just, it's, I find it just really hard to watch it, if I'm honest, and read about it because that's what I always thought, certainly my football experiences. If you do your job, you should be given the chance to continue 
I think it's a bit difficult for us as well because we know Gary very well. Um, so it's one of those where you're thinking, oh, he's done a very good job. We can't get your head around it. But I also know the other guys down at Bournemouth very well. So I know that they would have been thinking about this properly and thoughtfully. And Iraola is very highly thought of, Scott. Speaking to people in Spain yesterday, very excited. I mean, Graham Hunter, Terry Gibson, I spoke to briefly yesterday. They all talk about his abilities. I was reading a tactical analysis piece uh, this morning about how he operates. This is a guy who's very much sort of data-centric. He loves his NFL and his American sports, and he draws a lot of inspiration uh, from those particular spheres. He'll play a sort of 4 2 3 one, a very high press. He'll be on top of you. I mean, Dino loves this this stat about the uh, passes per defensive action. It's his favourite <laughs> stat in the whole game. Have you noticed how hard I find it to, to get it in and explain it? I always, I've used, yeah. I've used 15 different ways to say it. I, I'll be honest with you, <laughs> I, don't even know what, I don't even know what that means. <laughs> All right, this is really interesting, right? Okay, so, uh, so, so, so Dino will explain it to you now because it's basically about how a team... Um, how, how basically how good a team are at, at, at pressing, right? The simplest way that I think I can put it is, it's basically how quickly you put your foot in. That's basically what it means. It basically means how quickly do you put your foot in and get your foot on the ball when the opposition have got it. So how many passes, the, the how many passes do you allow them before you stick, right. the, exactly. stick the boot in? How, exactly. How many passes they can make before you get involved? To win, to win the ball back. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. That, so so, so sound, tell me what you think about this. Did thing. that sound technical? Even an idiot like me can, uh, can understand that, mate. So, so the good news is, is that you had your practice in trying to get it out quickly and it, you've waited until the end of the season to come up with the most succinct way of doing so. <laughs> well done. Save it for next season. <laughs> um, so, so tell me, give me, a, give me a, 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 a thumbs up or a thumbs down. Um, a passes per defensive action of 7.62. Good? Bad? Outstanding. Big thumbs. There you go. That's that. That's his Real Vallecano team. What? Well, no, I mean, Dean Ashton's. Uh, yeah, I, I haven't spoken to uh, to, uh, to Guillaume, uh, to Graham, to Gibbo. I've left a message with with a couple of them to to really get in depth. But what I know, and and you're right because we know Gary so well, we're kind of hurt for him, and I still think he deserved another chance. But the new manager's coming in, the job's done. If you're going to bring in players on three or four year contracts, they've got to look beyond the the one year. That, that Gary had left. I hope they're classy enough to pay him up that year, whatever happens. I think it'd be snapped up very, very quickly. Um, but they pay him up whatever, whether he's in a job or not, because for, just for the job that he's done and keeping him in the Premier League. But in terms of Iriola, it actually is quite exciting, you know, the way he plays. And um, uh, Dino's, Dino's absolutely spot on in terms of it's a bit like, well, who do you think you are if you don't think Gary O'Neill is good enough for you when he's done what he's done? But I do think it's a very positive step by bringing in someone like an Iriola, who, who, let's be fair, was was coveted at the end of last season for many of the, the Premier League clubs um, who were struggling and, and without a manager as well and, and may well have kept those clubs up. It's exciting football. You know, he's 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 inspired by Bielsa, but Valverde as well, and, and also even Patrick Vieira. So there's a, there's a hybrid of a lot of things. But yeah, it's high intensity. It's exciting to watch. They'll still lose more games than they'll win, but you know it, it'll be an interesting time, an interesting ride. And in terms of the long term, if you're going to bring in 
players on three or four year contracts, you've got to say that this is our manager in theory for, for that amount of time as well. Yeah, Rayo Vallecano did very well under him. Um, he decided to be a manager when he was working with Patrick in New York City and sort of became very sort of obsessed with tactics, etc., etc. Worked under Valverde and Bielsa at uh, Athletic Bilbao and uh, the Bass born and bred Bilbao fan, Alvario uh, Romeo, who is TalkSport's Spanish football correspondent, has been talking about him. Here is his details. There are many good players at Portmouth who can shine under the Basque manager. And Iraola has gotten the best of some players in Spain that weren't that good until Iraola actually coached them. I'm talking about Trejo, the Argentinian player. I'm talking about Tisi Palazón, one of the most exciting midfielders or wingers in Spain. And I think that Andani Iraola can have a cathartic effect on some of Bournemouth players as well. I'm talking, for example, about Philip Billing, a player that I believe that has a lot of potential. And so many Bournemouth players that you look at them and you say look with a, a different approach and maybe with a couple of advices maybe you can be the player you want to be and be better than you are now he's a master at improving players and that's the key thing isn't it you know that they'll want that from their squad this is not a team that's going to go and spend millions and millions of, well it will spend millions but it's not going to spend tens of millions of pounds uh, in order to sort of improve they've got to use some of the, the squad that's there and there's a lot of players that have been in that squad for a very very long time. Good luck to Gary O'Neill, though. We do hope that he goes on. He really will. He's definitely going to get a job, even if it's top end of the championship or bottom end of the Premier League. He will definitely get one. He will be sought after. Uh, we were all a little bit more surprised, not maybe more surprised, but just as surprised about the sacking of Darren Moore uh, on uh, Monday afternoon as well. Um, just taking Sheffield Wednesday into the championship after victory in the League One playoff final. All of us were like, what? Hey, how did that happen? Um, but he's, he's done a brilliant job and Hugh Wasencroft actually sat down with him to do an interview later at the right at the back end of last week and he said absolutely no indication that this was going to happen and all of a sudden he's just gone it was absolutely crazy a uh, big summer for them big summer for, for Bournemouth and a big summer ahead for Chelsea as well uh, players need to leave the club and it looks like most of them are all packing their bags and heading off to Saudi Arabia well, this is one of those situations which, look, Crook and I were talking last week, and it's one of those where you just you cannot bring it up until it's out in the public domain. You just cannot talk about it because you don't know the truth of the matter. And until it was confirmed last week that PIF were an investor in Clear Lake Capital, you, you couldn't discuss the fact that it... It looked a little bit odd that Chelsea appeared to be getting rid of all of those players that were on high wages and surplus to requirements to different clubs in Saudi Arabia. And then everyone's going, uh, hold on a second, this is just a little bit convenient. Uh, Hakim Ziyech, Kaladou Koulibaly, N'Golo Conte, Edouard Mendy, all linked with mega moves to the Middle East. Now, there's a lot of reports that the Saudi Investment Fund, the, the PIF, have an involvement with Clear Lake Capital. Who run Chelsea? So it's either a very clever manoeuvre from Chelsea to clear the deadwood or, or it's something that is massively controversial. I can't work out. I don't know. I'm not saying that any rules have been broken, but it doesn't look particularly like clear cut, does it? I mean, you know, remember, this is also the group that own Newcastle United. It is a little bit whiffy, isn't it, Scott? Well, the, 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 the smoke... Um, is there fire? <laughs> is is there fire? I'm I'm not Hold sure. On. Take that Chelsea shirt off. 
No, no. I, I, listen, even when I talk about Chelsea, I can be completely professional. I promise you. Look, I think the first most important thing is, are any rules broken? If there aren't, then, you know, yeah, it's clever. Second of all, a lot of players you've mentioned there have been linked to going to Saudi Arabia. The only one that I think looks more certain is the one who's, I think he's out of contract, isn't he, N'Golo Kante? Um, well, Mendy as well, I think. Mendy as well. So they're, they're, they're entitled to go wherever they want. You know, that, that's not really a Chelsea thing. Chelsea don't have to worry about people who are out of contract. They just, they, they're, they're going. So okay, for, for, but I suppose the question here is: is that Kaladu Koulibaly was bought at great cost? He's on a long contract and he is into his thirties. He hasn't had a particularly good season. He is one of those that you would like to move on to get money for him and to get all of his wages paid, so that you don't have to pay compensation for him. As an example, this is just an example that is quite convenient. Also, Hakim Ziyech. It was only three months ago he was going to go to PSG. Well, PSG on loan. Don't forget, and it, it wasn't like a, a kind of a buy. And, and my third thing, what I was going to say, Sam, is we don't yet know. They're linked. True. That they haven't gone. So let's wait to see if they do go. And then we can really start to see if there's a bit more smoke to this. But look, yeah. And if it was that case, then why aren't Newcastle coming in for them? You know, so look, Chelsea are prepared, to, are entitled to do whatever they want to do. They're contract, out of contract players. They don't have to worry about next season. Let's see what happens with Kulabari and Ziyech as well. But Ziyech has been on his way out for 12 months plus. So, you know, let's not sort of think anything about that, really. They, they can sell them to pretty much anyone. We'll see. Again, we'll see what the transfer fees are. At this moment in time, and I promise you it's not because I've got my Chelsea hat on, I haven't. I don't see anything wrong at this moment in time. Uh, yeah, Dean. I mean, I suppose, you know, it's just because there's not many people that were uh, prepared to pay the money for Ziyech, Koulibaly and Mendy. And all of a sudden, this group from uh, Saudi Arabia potentially are. That's why the eyebrows are being raised, right? I think, to me anyway, it feels a, a little bit like, was, was this always a plan? So right from the start, you know, months, a year, whatever that is ago, this was, this was always a, a plan and it's to do with finances. Or is this a, the only way of getting around FFP and it's very clever and and they've realized that they've made huge mistakes in the transfer market and now the only way to rectify that is is by players you know being sold and and if you've noticed it's not any of the the players that they've just bought in um necessarily uh, right away it's it's the you know players like Kante um Ziyech who's been there a good few years most of the players um are players they they feel like they can get they can get rid of but that's the thing that I'd, I'd like to see explained a little bit more is 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 it just about avoiding ffp and how penal would that be to chelsea if they couldn't interestingly though i suppose one of the other questions is is is, is when we talk about the ownership of clubs the rules are that you can only own one club in UEFA competition, right? So, so Jim Ratcliffe owns Nice, but he wants to buy Manchester United. Now, if those two both get into European competition, he has an ownership issue. He has to get rid of one of them at this moment in time. That may well change. The Qataris that are, are reportedly to be buying Manchester United, there was a link between them and the Qataris that own PSG. There was a bit of a discussion about that, how they were going to handle that. This is... It's because Chelsea are owned by so many different people. It's a it's it's consortium essentially, and the the biggest investment comes from an investment group, right? 
So the way that investment banking works or whatever, this is a huge, they've got a huge portfolio. Lots of people, uh, different people having investments in that particular investment group who then go out and spend the money. Does the, do the rules need tightening up so that all the investors have to be declared? Because if PIF has an interest, however small, however big, whatever, in Chelsea, but also have an interest in Newcastle United and also have four different clubs at the top of the Saudi Arabia League who are all spending inordinate amounts of money, that puts them in an advantageous position in comparison to other clubs, surely, right? No, but how do they have an interest in Chelsea? They're, they're putting some of their funds into a, a hedge fund, which happens to be Clear Lake. They're not putting their, their money into Chelsea. They're putting their money into a hedge fund, which then has ownership or part ownership of Chelsea Football Club. So, But if that hedge fund makes loads of money out of Chelsea, then so does the PIF, right? How does the hedge fund make loads of money out of Chelsea? If they're the ones buying the players. Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. yeah, but this is a longer-term project, not a short-term project. Well, the clear that Capital haven't put money into Chelsea in order to lose money, have they? They've put money into Chelsea so that over a longer period of time, their end, their end game is to make money out of Chelsea. Yeah, but that you, don't know, you, you don't know what part of the Clear Lake hedge funds that the PFF's money is going into. It might be absolutely nothing to do with sports. So, you know, they're obviously multi-billion hedge fund where they've got so many, you know, branches of trees and fingers in pies, whatever you want to say. You know, and, and I think as well, if they really wanted to to um to be clever in terms of a football or sneaky in terms of football point of view they are the owners of newcastle they don't want to help chelsea so why would they help chelsea i just think what we've got here is saudi arabia who are branching out and wanting to go into more than just relying on their oil it's you know it's about tourism it's about dipping their toes into different markets and they're thinking we've got these players who are surplus to requirements at chelsea football club we can offer them money and we can bring them to our league and make our league so do you better. Think then, so, so do you think then that ultimately the, the, the sort of eyebrow raising and the um, the sort of bulking at the, the idea that the, the two could be linked is is more to do with the fact that people don't like the sort of upstart nature of this league that's starting to spend all, all, all this money and that is having a huge investment in, in, in football. There is a, there's sort of a reticence from the traditional sort of powerhouses to go, do you know what? We don't like these new interlopers, so so, we, so we're going to try and put some barriers up to entry. I think yeah. um, I, I think that, yes, there's part of it that's, that's that. Of course there is. I think it was the same when the MLS tried to do the same and, and they brought in, you know, world stars into, into their league, but not on this scale, it feels like anyway. Um, and maybe that's, maybe it's the uncertainty as well that sort of frightens people as such of, of the uncertainty of what it would mean for, for our leagues, for our teams, for our pyramid um, and, and, and the potential of super leagues and, and, and all of those things I think do, do come into it. There's, to me, this feels like there's too much of a link for there not to be um, a real impact on the Premier League, certainly because, you know, it's, it is the richest league in the world. And so, therefore, if it then branches out, I can see how it's going to affect our league and our pyramid. I can't see how it, how it won't. We're talking about the sort of money that will change leagues without a shadow of a doubt over a long period of time. It's, yeah. it's going to be, Sam, so it's going to be fascinating to see how it goes forward. And we touched on it a week or so ago. You know, I think, Dino's mentioned the MLS, as I said last week, 
once they take once they take if they decide to take the handbrake off then that's a game changer i still think you're looking here at a lot of players that chelsea have far too many players they're desperate to get rid they don't care where they go saudi arabia are wanting to go to to you know they're china of a few years ago they're wanting to attract players and dip into it not just rely on their oil at the moment i don't see a, a bigger thing than that Okay, well, we should see over the next uh, couple of weeks. That's uh, for sure. One player not going to Saudi Arabia is Kai Havertz. It looks like he's off to to Arsenal. Um, just quickly, Dean, what do you think about that? I think um, there is a superb player there, but Chelsea have not once used him as I see him and ha- how I thought they would use him when they bought him from Germany. I always saw him as an off-the-front 10 Odegaard-type player, and I think that's what Arsenal see. Arsenal see a direct replacement and competitor to Martin Odegaard. And that's how I see him as a player. He is not a for- he is not a centre forward. He does not really want the physicality that, that that brings. He doesn't look like he enjoys it in that position. Then you he's played out wide. He's not that player either. He is a creative spark that needs a bit of freedom. You can tell by the way he plays the game that that is how he's going to play and how, how you're going to get the best out of him. And I think Arteta sees lots of talent that I see, but just not being used in the way that it, that it should be. And I think that I'm sure there's lots of Chelsea fans that say that's nonsense. He's rubbish. He's, he's, he doesn't, you know, put the effort in. He's no not one says 100... he's rubbish. He scored the winning goal in the Champions League final, mate. <laughs> no, they do. He can they, do what they... he's like for the rest of his life. I know, but they get, they get frustrated with, you know, the chances he misses and him leading the line. And, and I've, I've heard that many times, but I think there is a very special player in the right position. Um, Dean, who used to love the physical contact. Uh, thank you very much. Uh, Scott, you liked a little bit. Um, <laughs> I, I, uh, we'll see you over the course of the summer. That is for sure. Um, have a good rest of the week. That is it for the football season. Scott, you want to say something? Don't go, go on, finish. finish no, I was going to say about on, on, on Kai Havertz. I, I personally don't get it to Arsenal. Um, I think you need a centre forward, and he's not a centre forward, as Dean says. You know, no better judge than him. I think you need that central midfielder, and we'll see where the Declan Rice goes. And I think you need a centre back. That's a lot of money. You know, I, I personally don't see the point in bringing someone who's going to be a competitor and a rival to Martin Odegaard as one of your best players. So, look, you know, we'll have to see what happens. We'll have to see how the market goes. But I think when you've got a certain amount of budget, go big on those three, spine of the side. And, and I think Arsenal are, are challenging again. Uh, that's it for the football season. A reminder, we'll be back every single Monday throughout uh, the close season with the latest transfer news, the managerial moves, and a lot, lot more as well. It's the Game Day podcast from TalkSport. The Premier League All Access Podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds? We set them. Form guides? We've got them. Expert opinions? We share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. 
Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.